Hello, Sky friends, and welcome to Seasons of Skyrend, Book 4. We're a custom 5e D&D adventure that focuses on the stories of our characters as they seek to change the world, and how the world responds in turn. I am your host and DM, Scott, and you can find me on Twitter at TheScottBlake. Hi, I'm Chris, and you can find me at EwokKiller on Twitter. I play Finnegan Finn Tempest, a tiefling trainer, which is a Skyrend original class supported by the Metalweave Games supplement Baby Beastry. Finn is the trainer of Cerulius, a blue guard drake. Hi, my name is Nate. You can find me on Twitter at Skyrend underscore Nate. I play Darvin Grimm, the human monk, and I am currently hosting Cade, the demigod of the land in my brain. Hi, I'm Shannon. You can find me on Twitter at Skyrend underscore Shannon. I play Aranus Gray, the god of rebellion, and I am a half-elf bard. You can also find the show on Twitter at Skyren Podcast, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Head on over to find out about bonus chapters, early access, NPC creation, and more. Now then, thank you for joining us, and please enjoy this chapter in Seasons of Skyrend. Following the events of the Earl Leadership Meeting, representatives from each of the major guilds, churches, and organizations in the city spent time in intense study for manipulating the magic of the bulb that flows through the central column. Over the past six weeks, thanks in large part to Olwan's previous experience, each group found some level of success. The time was not without incident, though. Octavia Hill nearly burned her clothes off, Junius accidentally magnetized himself, and, somehow, Milt Swenson turned everything in the city blue for a whole week. No permanent harm was done, and, with patience, each misstep was corrected. These and other incidents were valuable lessons toward the overall goal of communal control. When the giants do eventually come to place one of their leaders in charge of Earl, the city will not be without leverage. With luck both sides will be able to reach an equitable deal. These six weeks also afforded everyone a chance to grow closer with their allies, new and old. Even among your allies, bonds are growing stronger. Tonk and Morello seem to be feeding each other's rambunctious side. Mahogany and Asturias have cultivated an almost competitive friendship. However, the most unexpected bond to grow has been between Seth and Rystos. Long nights in study have seen the pair sharing the candlelight at a desk. Naturally, this time has allowed each of you to form and grow bonds as well. While this no doubt includes several people, I've asked each of you to select two NPCs for whom this bond is especially strong. They will give you something, either during your stay in Earl, or be indebted to you and pay that off at a later date. This could range from information, equipment, personal time, or anything they could reasonably provide. Before we begin our journey out of Earl, I'd like each of you to briefly share who you bonded with and what they have offered to you. I can jump in to help clarify anything if needed. Who would like to go first? Don't all jump at once. I was really just waiting to see if anybody else was going to jump up. Nope. Uh... 
All right, I'll jump up first then. Yes, Chris, I see your hand. Yes. <laughs> um, Finnegan has spent his time keeping himself and Cyril very busy. He's spent some significant time working with Melt to Ooh. better understand the basics of, in general, like clothing maintenance primarily because Finnegan's a simple guy and doesn't carry or have a lot of stuff, but also with the entrance of like, uh, Finnegan doesn't have a desire to buy a new armor. He's very emotionally connected to the armor he has, but would love to make it better. Mm -hmm. So working kind of not so much as an apprentice, but as an aide with the intent to learn. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the things that Finnegan's been doing. Okay. Before we move on to the second person, can I ask, what type of armor do you have now, and what does it look like? So, I currently still wear a um, very battered and beaten version of the standard issue Royal Air Force armor, which is a um, brownish leather armor. I have since removed all of the insignias except for the one from my uh, specific unit but it's scarred and it's already been like kind of haphazardly poorly patched over the years. Mm -hmm. So this isn't magical in any sense, right? No, no. And going by armor types in book, this is leather armor or Mm -hmm. it's leather armor, leather armor, which is AC 11 plus Dex, which means my AC is 12 for our viewers at home. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Woof. The things physically that are being added to it and when we've talked previously i mentioned like adding stuff internally rather than externally to keep the same Mm -hmm. look my thoughts immediately go to like small plates or perhaps Mm -hmm. some sort of kevlar-esque material since you're working with milt swenson leader of the seamsters the tailors guild both would be appropriate but which one do you like gosh you know it's kind of sticking true to to finnegan's you know, style and core of, of how he rolls, right? Not being up in the front, like taking heavy blows, but wanting to be able to be light and maneuverable. I'm thinking the idea of like some sort of Kevlar style weave, or um, now I'm thinking like, you know, what's it? Freaking Kingpin from Daredevil, right? He wears a tailored suit, but it's with that special material that you can't stab, right? Like that level oh, yeah. of like it's light, it's maneuverable, it's not going to affect my ability to do my job, but it's going to make me able to do it a little longer. Mm-hmm. See, adding Kevlar-like inserts into the interior of your armor. And I do certainly think that, you know, Milt will help you repair any of the battle damage and road damage on the outset as well to make it looking all nice and good. But this is where his expertise comes in. You know, adding protection without making you look overly protected. Like, you still look good for whatever that's worth for Finnegan. Mm-hmm. Milt values form and function. This is a pretty... I don't want to say it's an easy thing for Milt to do. Because, you know, he is working within the confines of what is already there and how much give it has. I think if you were working with someone under him, it wouldn't be as effective. But since you are working with the head of a tailoring guild, and I think over six weeks, he's able to help you add these things in there to 
move this from leather armor to seamsters leather armor just to name it after the guild and we will say that it's stats again non-magical armor will be ac 13 plus dex oh thank you up to a 14 that's very nice Mm -hmm. so one step above traditional studded leather armor because he knows what he's doing and he understands yeah he knows maybe he's also helped design some armor for the greenhouse and the edu and other folks. All right, all right. Yeah, if other people want to step in, or we can let Finnegan roll and we can each have our own, just three separate ones. All right, Finnegan. All right. And then this one, the other person that I have been bonding with happened out of a little bit of necessity, a little bit out of curiosity, and a little bit of tactical strategy over the course of the last six weeks. Finnegan and Asturias have been training together. I, I like to think spending, you know, the occasional either early morning or late evening out, like out of the city hunting and, or, or, you know, prowling the like un, the, those levels that are like condemned, right? Mm-hmm. With the intention of like Asturias is a hunter and Finnegan is a, a ranged mage. And yet we both bring to bear no pun intended, a pair of very large, you know, practically siege creatures. And so finding strategies and tactics and ways that the four of us could work really effectively in combat, knowing that if we're going to continue to travel together, that could be very important. And it also served the secondary kind of option of letting Finnegan, who is, I think, the most skeptical of Asturias, or at least Iowachi, um, the opportunity to keep an eye on her without seeming like I'm going to keep an eye on you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Since you're selecting an NPC who is already in your party, immediate benefit of that is going to be increasing their bond from one to two. And that's just a side effect. I know I hadn't mentioned that before, but it feels only natural. If you're getting closer to somebody directly, personally, of course it's going to increase the bond that they have with the party. It might be a little bit more Finnegan and mahogany sided for Asturias, but it is still the party. But in terms of the main benefit, I understand you're working together to operate more efficiently in combat together. But in terms of the benefit that you want from this, do you want it to be combat tactics or do you want it to be Asturias Chase will be indebted to you and we will see that payoff at a later date? I think it's very much like there is no intended get out of this and that it will, you know, it'll, it'll be good things later. Okay. Yeah. Cause the like, Oh, you're working combat better together. Cool. You know, it's not like she was sabotaging you before, maybe she will pull some of her punches now. And actually that's a very good question. Are you going to try to talk her down from some of her more aggressive tactics at all? Hmm. Finnegan isn't a persuader. We've established this. Uh But I think it, it, it's less like convincing them and more convincing her and more just like sharing with her the, the philosophy as to why we aren't running around killing everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if we're the good guys, we, we need to, we need to do the good guy thing. Right. And we have to be better while not like proselytizing all the time. Right. All right. Well, I will, I'll mark this down as she might pull some punches. Maybe the first option won't be throw person into cavern of unknown depth 
<laughs> Good. But the main benefit here will be uh, this will pay off later as appropriate, which is just a nice, fun little wild card that we can throw into a situation. All right. There is one other minor thing that we've discussed off air that uh, we might yes. want to bring up here, too. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. One of the things that Chris and I have been talking about for Finnegan is he's got this ring of spell confiscation and lots of spell casters and things around. So spending some time getting some spells into there. Hmm. We don't need to go through the full list of them, but Chris, if you just want to tell us, you know, who's been providing these spells for you, where have you been getting this? I've been working with some of the, the clerics and, and other casters around town. I mean, a lot of it has primarily been the clerics. And I think like thematically, the best explanation of the spells across the board that I took are Finnegan's afraid of the dark <laughs> and he wants to weaponize the light. And I think that covers almost all of what I took. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. We can go over the spells in more detail as they're needed. I don't need to spend, you know, 10 minutes now going through everything that's in there. My plan is I'm going to add them to my list and then we can work out details when I decide to use them. Unless you want to change that. My ring list, not my like list list, obviously. Right, right, right. So yes, over the past six weeks, Finnegan's ring has been shifting from its vivid green color to a more brilliant purple as more and more spells get stored in there. More spell levels get stored in there. Cool. That is Finnegan and Finnegan's bonding out of the way. Milt Swenson helping you up your armor and Astorius Chase growing closer. And we'll see how that pays off at a later point. Who would like to go next? I can go. All right. Mine feels not nearly as well thought out as his. Um, I think that, that over our time here, and frankly, having gone to them first, to talk about the whole magic issue in the town, Arnis goes back to Kolyabara and just starts asking questions about clerics and why people become clerics and the gods that they choose, right? Uh, or the gods that they follow and just really tries to understand a whole aspect of being a god, not from a god, right? Like, really, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Besides talking to like Parlin, right? Who is admittedly a little bit fanatical, right? Like, like why do people devote their lives to gods? And just really trying to understand, well, for lack of a better term, kind of the human aspect of it, right? Like the people aspect of it. <laughs> why would a mortal do such a thing? Right, exactly. And not from a, like, skeptical, like, why would you do that, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but just trying to understand what it means for a person to do that, and then, right, what it means to be bestowed that power by a god, like, what it means to the person. Just so that I know if that's a path I go down, right, like, what I'm taking on. Not just from Reistos or from another god, right, but for the people that I would then be kind of responsible to and for. Okay. So in terms of benefit, is this information then? I think basically okay. I like, I would be open if they had someone that, but see that's benefit for them. Really not me. 
Um, like, because <laughs> I, I was thinking, like, you know, I would be willing if they had somebody, not now, but like in the future, that wanted to be a cleric of rebellion mm-hmm. to kind of make them the first. But that's really for them. That's not a benefit for me. So really, for me, it's about it's about information. It's really just learning how to be a good god to the people that I don't like the word serve me, but that follow me, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. And it extends okay. beyond clerics, of course, but it's who I'm learning from. Right. But if you're talking to Kolyabara, leader of the Servitors Guild here, you're getting the cleric perspective. Of course. And indeed, as she mentioned before to you, there were clerics of Pathox, clerics of Chaos, who lost all of their power because they right. lost their connection with the divine. Some of them might begrudge that. Some of them may want to seek out Pathox's replacement. Mm. Depends on which aspects of chaos and which parts of Pathox's mentality, let's say, they aligned with and why Mm. they served him. Mm -hmm. But information, information. Let's see here. How does Kolyabar explain this? Cliff's Notes version, you know, really reducing this down, not going to go through the whole thing could probably do a whole hour's length of discussion of what it means to be a cleric and why people seek this out and form these bonds. But the short, short version of it is people seek out this role. They seek out these bonds, not just because this is a god that they can serve, not just because, take it back a step, elves don't become clerics of Olmanir just because I'm an elf. They're the elf god. Power. Ability. Boom. It's about wanting to help and serve their communities. Whether that's a small take, you know, my neighbors, or it's a larger stake. The continent, the globe. People seek these abilities and these roles out because of that desire to serve. And because their beliefs align with the beliefs of a deity, of one of the divine. You certainly have humans, elves, whoever petitioning other gods for these abilities. It's not really heard of, as we've explained. There's Koyabara doesn't know this, but you know gods are very afraid of giving power to others because of this agreement they have amongst themselves. Don't power up someone who might go and cut down a different god. But people want to serve and people want to help. And when those beliefs align and when they can find a god, a divine being, who can help them, they form that connection. It's not as, I don't know if Kolibara would say sullied or dirty, but it is a very different approach from what, say, a warlock would get into. That's a pact. That's a contract. This is an understanding. It's when people reach out and find their answer in the form of a god. And they grow that connection there. Kolyabar will explain a god could just grant this power, but it is for the cleric to form that bond to make it a purposeful connection. Otherwise, you're not much better than what a warlock might do, for example. 
She talks down about warlocks. I am not trying to talk down about warlocks. I happen to enjoy the class, but just like the fundamental understandings of those bonds are different in right. Kolyabar's mind. And she will say that herself and every other cleric that she has worked with and trained has that deep connection with the divine and has the instinctual willingness to serve their people, their community, their cause, whatever that might be. Oh yeah. Kolyabar is a celestial, so she serves Barifax in her cleric role, in her cleric duties. But it's not simply because she is a celestial. She does align with Barifax's wants and desires, information, history, knowledge, and using that to benefit those around you. Which I guess makes going to her for information even more appropriate. Hmm. Any questions, Arnis? I don't think so. Because I know the other side of it, right? That gods don't tend to seek out people to give power to, right? Because gods are like, mm, let's just keep that shit to ourselves. <laughs> right? <laughs> gods don't tend to seek out clerics too much, I think is what you would get. If a god okay. is seeking someone, it might go in a different direction. Okay. They might come to an understanding like, oh, this person would make a great cleric after they've been doing other stuff with them. But usually if a god is seeking out someone to act on their behalf, you tend to get other types of uh, classes, if we're going to be technical about it. Like, you will get your paladins, you will get your warlocks. Mm. You could even get some sorcerers, and perhaps others. I don't want to limit it to just those three, but those are the big three. I could definitely see uh, arguments for barbarians. Mm, yeah, yeah, and other martial classes because sometimes you just want someone who could punch really hard, just a mountain of a person. Yeah, all right. So I have like the desire to serve the community, aligning with the divines, reaching out for power, and finding the god, and building that, building that bond, building that relationship. I think with this talk, if the time comes where you do want to empower someone in this way, that will make it easier to do so. If you want to go in a different route, such as a paladin or a warlock or a sorcerer, this might help, just not as much. I don't know how we represent that mechanically, other than just like, hey, if you ever do this, here's a bonus to your role. Which, yeah, let's do that. Jot this note down. I'm going to jot this note down, too. As long as you're still a divine in training, you know, if you were to fully embrace the divine power, which is a road, this will just come... Naturally, we wouldn't need to worry about it. But at that point, you're not really a player character anymore, unless everybody's at that level. <laughs> Fair. So, if you want to make a cleric, we'll give you a plus five to that roll. Make other. Give you a plus two to that roll. Okay. Arnis, it's you and Kolyabara having a nice heart-to-heart, good, deep philosophical conversation on what this means. Yeah, how much you want to share back with her about what you know, entirely your call. But moving on, who is the second NPC that you would like to bond with? I think knowing how often we butt heads on how to handle particular situations, Arnis would then would seek out Morello over the course of our time in Earl 
And I was thinking rather than just having a series of like discussions with the boy, because we know how that's gone. I was thinking about like finding a way to help him hone the skills he has for other things than just stabbing. Right. So like, I know that he's good at all of that stuff, right? Like he's good Mm -hmm. at sneaking around and, and doing all those things, but it always feels like he doesn't find value in those skills. Right. And so I, I want a way, even though this isn't particularly Arnus's strength, but like, I want a way for him to see value in being able to like sneak in and out of places or overhear conversations without being seen or, you know, some of those kind of other like useful stealthy things. Okay. okay. We're always needing so to like build those skills. <laughs> <laughs> or being able to scout ahead, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So clarifying question first. This isn't sure. you teaching him how to do these things. You no, no, the no, no, bard no, no. who is no, not an it, expert no, at these things. No, but, it, exactly, exactly. That's why I said this isn't this isn't okay. my area, but I know like I know that there are already things that he's that he's good at. And so like I want to be able to like my idea really is to like put him in situations where he can start to see the value of those things. Right? Like have him overhear people like send him to like listen in on a conversation and then like report back with information that we can use or mm-hmm, right. Yeah. And all in a very kind of like low stakes environment, right. We're not actually fighting anybody, but all information is useful information. Right. And yeah. so I want him to be able to see those skills as valuable. Mm-hmm. So helping him understand the expanded utility of his skills. It's not just sneaking yeah. up on someone so you can stab them. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. But that being said, I'm not training him. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> you know, maybe he and Carolina can go off and work on that later, but that's right. going to have to be for another montage sequence or another right. downtime sequence. But for now, he will be understanding a bit of that. So again, since this is a party member, first thing we're going to do is boost up their bond. They were at two. They will be at three. Add your name to this. I'm tracking who our party members are close to, like more than just being party members. Like they will trust you and go to you for advice if need be. That's what he's getting out of it. Is this a payoff later thing for Aranus, or is he getting information for you now? What unless, do you get? Unless somebody has an idea of what he should actively be getting for me in this moment, to me, it's a payoff later situation. Where, like, at some point, we're going to need somebody to hear a conversation, and he's going to be my man. Because I ain't stealthy, and for some reason I won't be able to send Darwin. <laughs> Whatever that thing is. Well, sometimes you want to just have this being taken care of while you deal with something else. Like, that's exactly. one of the roles that's of true. having these party members is you three can focus on the big task. They can handle the side quest. Exactly. Okay, well, I will mark this as pay off later. All right. Arnis, anything else on there that we need to talk about? I don't think so. The rest of my time is spent working on the column and also just working with Rystos, because I'm always working with Rystos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Durbin, my man. Yes. 
your turn. Let's talk about who you're bonding with and what you're getting from it. Okay. Well, for the primary, Mm -hmm. I wanted to hang out with Milt for the thing we talked about. Milt getting a lot of attention. He's loving it. He's a busy guy. (laughs) Okay. And what was this thing we talked about? So I'm going to ask him to make me a scabbard for my leg sword. Mm-hmm. But not just an ordinary scabbard. A scabbard with some kind of badass retrievable projectile on it. <laughs> projectile unsheathing, rather, right? Okay, I was going to ask, is this like the scabbard itself shooting something? Like, it's firing crossbow bolts, or is this you just whipping it and pegging somebody in the face? With it? Okay. Me just whipping it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what I thought we were talking about before, but if we were going in another direction where all of a sudden Darwin has a machine gun leg, I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't think of that. Well, guns don't really exist here, so I can understand why. Also, that might be a little bit beyond Milt's ability to craft that type of weapon. Yeah, they probably need more than the tailors, huh? The Builders Guild might be able to help out with that. They're not the best. You know, if you really wanted someone to do that, that would be, uh... I don't even know. I mean, I... I've got Smithies, the Harvest of Rubillo, but the Inventor's Guild, the Fulfillment, could certainly do something like that. Yeah. It's a joke. We're kicking it off. It's a joke. Yeah, sorry. Leg Sword Scabbard, something that you can use as a projectile weapon. What does this look like? What does the scabbard itself look like? You know, what's the design on it? What's it made out of? Uh, well, it's like a sword scabbard with a boot-shaped thing on the end, right? <laughs> and maybe, maybe like, not the whole thing detaches, but the bottom part, mm. so you get boot in your face. Is this boot the same size as your other foot, or is this smaller or bigger? It's about the same. It doesn't have to be, but for, you know, consistency's sake. All right, all right. So, as mentioned, Milt is at the top of his game. He's the guild leader. He knows what he's doing. It's a simple weapon. It's a functional thing. When you talk about retrievable, you just mean like you can go and pick it up and put it back on, right? Not like it magically yes. returns to you? No, no. Okay, he might have to, you know, subcontract that part of it out. But if we're just talking about all the practical application here, cool. So, since you said the end is shaped like a boot, this will definitely be bludgeoning damage. Nice. Let's see. All right, well, we're going to make a custom range for it. Because I was like, well, what about a sling? That's a nice, simple projectile. And the long range on that is 120 feet. And that seems a bit much. And I was like, okay, what about a dagger? But the short range on that is only 20 feet. And that seems like too little. So, ooh, we're going to need a name for whatever this is going to be. But in terms of stats, this is going to be classified as a simple weapon. can definitely be considered a monk weapon when you're using it. So you'll use that same die size. I think if other people were to try to use it, it would be a D6 plus dex. But since it's you, it's whatever your monk weapon is. Uh, Is that a D8 now or D10? It's a D8 still. Okay. So you'll still be using that. It'll still be plus dex. You will have proficiency with this. In terms of range, short range is going to be 30. Long range is going to be 60. Nice. In terms of how it works, the last thing that I wanted to do was using this be detrimental to Darwin's attack style, which is hit him a lot. I didn't want it to be, 
I fling this, and that's it. So I'm going to build on the let's hit them a lot and make it easier to hit them a lot. You can use it on its own, of course, if you just wanted to take the attack action and simply fling your scabbard at someone in range. Okay. But the benefit that you get from having Milt make it and work with you on this is that when you make the attack action with your leg sword, not with any other, like not just a punch and then this flies off, but when you use your leg sword for an attack, if the scabbard is attached without spending a bonus action or anything else, so just as part of the attack, you can fling this scabbard leg at anyone in range. It's basically your melee is now a melee and a ranged attack when you have this on. That is so sweet. <laughs> nice. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You will still have to roll for it as a separate to hit. But yeah, if you're making a leg sword attack, you can also fling this at somebody in range, including the person you are about to attack. Now, that'd be point blank. But, but yeah, if you make a leg sword attack and don't remove the scabbard, your leg sword would then just do the bludgeoning damage from the scabbard itself. Gotcha. In case you don't want to stab people, just kick them real hard. Now, do we have a cool name for it, or are we just calling this the Seamster's Scabbard? I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> Let's see. The Slinging Scabbard? Scabbard of Slinging? Scabbard of Slinging. Nice. Put that in for now. And if there's any design flourishes you want on that scabbard, you can definitely have them. Deal. Anything else on the scabbard that you want to talk about? No, that's it. Okay. Number two, then. Number two, I think I'm actually going to spend some time with Owan. Hmm. Owan. Mostly because I find him endlessly fascinating. Mm-hmm. But especially so now. Because of his time within the Uraleth? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So is this just you and Olwan? Are you, are you all focused on him, like in his recent experiences? You know, are you sharing with him things about yourself? You know, what's the nature of, these, of this time together? I mean, it's not super focused on his recent experiences. I'm not like, so Olwan, tell me about... It's not that overt or intentional. Mm-hmm. It's more just trying to get him to know him a little better. And yeah, that would include, that would go two ways, I think. But I'm not telling him too much. I'm still super secretive. Fair enough. Well, the immediate benefit is upping the bond that Olwan has with the party, going from a three to a four, being a closer ally. And Olwan will be hesitant at first, but he will start opening up and he will share more, not just about his time, Inside the Uralith, which is still just chaos in his head. Not chaos in his head. That sounds too too out there. It's still fuzzy. It's still scattered. You know, he remembers being tossed to it by a bunch of sailors who just wanted to see something cool. He bears no friendliness at all for the Tides of Fortune captain or crew. But he's not necessarily a vindictive guy. He's just like, ugh. But his time in there was draining and confusing, and passage of time just wasn't there. He doesn't know how long he was in there. It wasn't immediately 
after Earl Earl's death that he was tossed in, but he doesn't think it was too long. He's getting better. The more time that he's been out and able to be with people and clear his head, it's been better. He's been getting more stable. Earl is still a very hard place for him to be, simply because he was here for so long and he served Earl Earl and Count Duchess for so long. Primarily because Earl Earl saved him, found him, on one of the southern shores of Sarakar, like, long ago. Long ago. Before Earl was what it was when you first saw it. Back when Olwan didn't even really know himself. Earl Earl named him. It's one of the reasons why his name is so close to that of Olwanir's. I always wondered that. This is already paying off. Earl was vain. Surprise, surprise. He's accepted the name as his own now and made it his own, but... But yeah, Earl Earl's the one who named him Olwan. I actually gave him a lot. Have I ever said Earl uh, Olwan's last name? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. In like mid-book four? <laughs> I don't think so. His name is Olwan Tinhart. I, I guess he just never thought to tell anyone. But this comes out to Darwin, you know. He's got a last name because, again, Earl, Earl Vane and also a little bit patronizing, apparently. Uh, you know, Olwan never really gave two thoughts about it because... When he was found and named and grew closer to Earl, it all seemed very caring and very genuine. And it probably was to an extent, but it's hard to know which parts of Earl were real and genuine and which parts were not. And not just because he made so many changeling copies of himself. <laughs> but he's, yeah, he spent a lot of time trying to grow from the person that. Earl helped him be into being the person that he is. And it's been a very rough road for him. Finding out the truth of everything that was behind Earl was difficult. You know, this person that cared for you for so long helped you become who you are. Dark, dark secrets. Doing very terrible things. It's being captured on a boat. It's being inside a creature. He's not had an easy life. And however, he ended up on the shore somewhere long ago he doesn't know but he is happy that he is growing and he is making these genuine connections with people and darvin he will admit after he saw what happened with earl and realized how much he had been deceived part of him worries about that with other friends that he's made he fears what's the word for it not deception but yeah, he fears like a type of deception where you know people aren't being true in how they're connecting to him, that he's being used in some way, perhaps. But you know, as long as he's known all of you, Darwin, especially you know that hasn't been the case, you know, he hopes that holds true. Um, switching gears, Darwin, Nate. In terms of payoff here, are you wanting a information a thing? Is this a payoff later? Payoff later. Okay. I know we're kind of going through these quickly, but Darvin, is there any additional things that you would like, or any specifics you would like from Olwan that you want to hear? No, I think I got what I wanted. Okay, okay. It was a good six weeks. Olwan has definitely appreciated your time and your attention and growing this bonding. For him, it feels very genuine. Well... Everybody has gotten a payoff later connection, and people have, well, Finian and Darvin have benefits 
now. Arnis has one that is a benefit later, if he ever decides to empower someone. And as far as these guilds go, I guess specifically the Seamsters and the Servitors, you can consider them friendly to you. They're not sending out decrees to all the other branches that they have contacts with to be like, these are trusted friends. Let them do whatever they want. But they will be like, hey, these people came into town. We got to know each other. They seem all right. They're helping us out here. So they will be more inclined to offer you goods and services and help you out in other ways. But nothing that's like hard and fast. Like they are your allies now. Just they won't be antagonistic as groups to you. Individuals might be, but as groups, at least neutral, if not friendly. Okay, so that's bonding time. Hope we all had good bonding time. It's been six weeks. It's been a lot of training. People are learning to use this bulb. It's going well. But as these six weeks wrap up and it's becoming time to go. At this point, Retreat and a number of the changelings have already left. Some are still around. Some might stay in the city for good. Some might just want more of a chance to get to know themselves before they go do anything else. But the city, by all accounts, seems to be operating smoothly. Antidius and his followers have not done anything drastic in this time. He is still definitely a little worried about all the implications that Finnegan mentioned of connecting with this looming tomb. But as these six weeks round out, things are in a better position. And we start looking at the exits. What comes next? It is Ulwan who comes to the party first. Perhaps after a nice chat with Darvin. And I think this is probably like just after lunchtime. People are relaxing, hanging out. So, um, I understand that we're getting ready to leave Earl and everything. I, for one, you know, mixed feelings about the whole thing. It'd be nice to get out again. And from what I understand, we're going to be heading further south, right? Heading towards Libera. He looks around, like, for confirmation. Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. Well, it's not exactly a short road. Wouldn't be too worried about it if it wasn't for the fact that it's only going to get colder, and who knows how much... He'll be on the road for us to eat, collect, gather, and whatnot. And obviously we can load up the wagons, take what we can. That's a fine idea, but there's another option if folks are interested. And normally, I wouldn't even think of it, but it seems like Earl Earl's not going to be needing it anymore. And Darvin, maybe this is something he'd mentioned it offhand to you during your conversations, but he never really explained it. As Ulwan explains it, Earl Earl has a ship. The Regal Splendor, he called it. Uh, it's up in the flower bud at the very top of the city. That flower that's half in bloom and half closed. There's something inside of it. And this is where that airship that I teased oh so long ago exists. <laughs> nice. He explains it. It is a hot air dirigible designed by Earl Earl himself. Dirigible. With assistance from others, of course. But fancy hot airship. If people are interested in 
stealing a... <laughs> I will call it stealing because it is not yours, but the rightful owner is dead. Is and all of is the other rightful owners really? who think that they have a claim to it are becoming themselves again. So there isn't really a claimant on this ship at the moment. Um, yes, please. Oh, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Airship and we're stealing Earl Earl's shit. You know I'm in. <laughs> Nate, hell yeah. <laughs> Not quite as fancy as that one from... Oh, I can't tell what that is. FF6. Looks like a Final Fantasy, yeah. Six. Okay. There's just so many Final Fantasies. I don't know. That was an early one. Barely played them, so even less exposure. <clears throat> um, in which case, if you're interested, Ulwan will take you up there just so you can check it out. Make any final decisions here. You certainly don't have to, but he's going to suggest we claim slash steal this airship. Oh, hell yeah. He did do some work on it as well. Some of this is magical. Some of this is practical. It's not terribly large. We're not looking at, you know, some cruise ship. But it is big enough. Earl Earl is not a subtle or understated guy. He was not going for simple practicalities. But Iwana leads you up the stairs. And you have to go... You have to go outside just momentarily to go around to the other side of the flower bud. And he will lead you to this place where it looks like two of the petals can rotate outwards and kind of open up a little bit. So there's no clear door. And inside is a hot air dirigible that Earl Earl himself has designed. Owan will explain this to you as he's kind of showing you around. You know, there's the upper deck, which is exposed to the elements, and the ship's wheel is up there. There's the lower deck, where there's the master bedroom, the guest bedroom, a lounge, a galley, and more importantly, the boiler for the ship. Uses hot air, so gotta have a source for that heat somewhere. Uh, in between the two is the tween deck. And this is not where the youths hang out, although they probably could go here to smoke. Street Morello, Morello is gonna definitely go in here. Morello and Mahogany are gonna get up to some shit in here. Definitely. And uh, you will definitely hear Tonk's music coming from the tween deck if you choose to take this. It's not as high as normal decks. It's a little, it's a little shorter. This is like a crawl space that's used for cargo and for routing all the hot air pipes that come up from the boiler and extend outwards along the sides of the ship, go up to the actual hot air balloon section of it. Um, below the lower deck is the hold. This has been heavily reinforced for landings because it's an airship. And also, I was thinking a little bit of Earl's just eccentricity and a little bit of Finnegan here. Earl keeps an animal collection. In this ship, including, obviously, this hasn't always been the case, but what's here now and whoever's been taking care of them. I imagine there's some royal animal keeper who had to come up here and feed them, or maybe they're kept somewhere in the greenhouse and they get rotated up here. But what's in here right now? Let's see. They like some terrariums and a couple of cages. There's some stag beetles, some sunset moths, some poison dart frogs. Uh, there's a fennec fox, and there's a crimson kingfisher in here. And also, just in case, there's some room for some horses up here, too. Down here, I should say. Noise. Because you do have your four horses still, still with their bony wings, in case you wanted to bring them along with you. The wagons, obviously, there's not room for them. <laughs> you would have to 
decant the wagons into this ship, into the hold and into the tween deck, if you wanted those supplies with you. But old one's walking you around. And it, yeah, this is a fancy ship. Is definitely made by Earl Earl. It's a little bit gaudy. It's a little bit too gilded in some places. But it is finely made and seems to be functional at the moment. One's walking you around, showing it off. Like, there's, I don't really think it belongs to anyone. You know, if anything, it belongs to the city, but not even everybody knows that it's up here. Earl Earl didn't like advertising it, particularly because uh, at a certain point, Earl Earl did not like leaving the city because of all the other shit that he was up to, being a jerk and all, but occasionally would use it. I don't know if it's necessarily right for us to take it, but I'd be hard-pressed to say it's wrong either. I don't know. What do you think? I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I think it's morally right. Oh, I'm 100% for this plan. Finnegan is already petting him a tiny little fox and making friends. (laughs) Oh. Fennec foxes are adorable. They are adorable. They've got those huge ears. Huge ears. Huge. Not really Good images of this bird. Talking about a kingfisher? The crimson kingfisher. I've seen kingfishers before, but the crimson ones are a little different. They're a little bit more brown, rusty color, and mm-hmm. mm. not quite as vibrant of a teal feathers that they have. And they have a reddish beak. But yeah, like a kingfisher, but with a little bit reddish, more reddish. Mm-hmm. And I assume you all know what a stag beetle is. Yep. But if you haven't seen a sunset moth, I highly recommend. Just go ahead and boop. boop. Damn, those are pretty. Oh, flashy. Wow. Whoa. Why is it a moth and not a butterfly? It's probably something. It's about how the wings are built, I think. Mm-hmm. And poison dart mm-hmm. frogs are poison dart frogs. So yeah, that's what's on this ship. It is currently named the Regal Splendor because of Earl. Oh. If anybody wants to paint over that, or I think we should rename it the Church of uh, the Church of Rebellion. You're gonna Rebellion's name might. the ship after the church? I'm not sure about that, bro. The Winds of Rebellion. Okay, that's not bad. You'll have you'll have time to think about it. You... But yeah, Juan wanted to show this off. I wanted to give you guys more options in terms of travel, and it's a good place to have like deep discussions while you're just flying through the air south in the dark and it also gets you a lot closer to that dark night sky which mm. cool well if if we're gonna claim the the ship we should probably start getting some of our things on it <laughs> sam and asturias will like nod all right cool let's go grab some stuff let's go find our wagons and start moving belongings and anyone who wants to help them can just doing manual labor oh for sure let's see i think as you're loading stuff in, who's gonna be who's gonna be the brash one here? Morello is explicitly brash as his flaw. So, <laughs> as everybody's moving things into here, Morello looks around and he's definitely noticing like there aren't bedrooms for everyone. And he's like, "I got dibs on the master." And he goes and throws his bag on the bed, which is like <laughs> nope. way too big for him. <laughs> And I go and take it off immediately and go, no. Aww. <laughs> no fair. Well, if I'm not getting it, who is? I don't know. I was considering giving it to the oldest member of our party, but you know, you do what you want, kid. 
Ristos goes like, oh, the oldest one? I'll, I'll take it, sure. Ristos, sit down. <laughs> he, he distinctively does not sit down. He just flies. <laughs> <laughs> he was being an ass. He obviously doesn't need that big of a bed, but if you're going to give it to the oldest one in the group... It is the... Mm, okay. All right, toss up. And this is not Arnis saying this, but I'm going to put this... Shannon, the player, is going to put this to the rest of the party. Do we give it to Parlin, who could use some comfort? Or do we give the biggest bed to the only couple in the group? I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Makes sense to me. That's, that's kind of where my head was at. With the caveat that there's no hanky-panky, please. This is a communal living space. <laughs> How are you going to give them the master bedroom and tell them not to get it on? It's it's a bedroom. It's got a door, right? There's a door. Yes, yes. There are doors on these rooms. (laughs) See? (laughs) We're not like fucking Greg Brady with just beaded curtains everywhere. (laughs) I was going to say, if you want to trade some in for beaded curtains. (laughs) Yes. Scott knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) I knew what you were talking about. And we're on the same wavelength there. Because those are the only two options, right? Doors mm-hmm. or beaded curtains. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to let Sam and Carolina have it, they will. But they, they are happy to defer. No, to me, that seems fair. If it's the biggest bed here, they should get it. I'm not making them sleep in separate beds. That's mm-hmm. kind of fucked up. <laughs> All right. Unless they don't want it, it's it's theirs for the taking. Oh, oh no, no, they're they're happy to take it. I figured. Uh, Parlin can have the guest room. There's places to sleep in the lounge. People can set up cots and things in the hold, in the tween deck. I think the tweens should get in the tween deck. Sorry. One doesn't really sleep. He rests, but you know he doesn't have to sleep. Ristos can really be wherever. But it gets a little communal in here with this many people. If your Tamani allies are not in their Tamani form, their animals can go hang out in the hold and chill with the other animals. Be a little confused. Sorry, when I say their animals, I mean their animal halves. Like it's still them. Right. But they do find comfort in being that. Like, ah... To be a dog and just, just like, lounge around. To be a cat and to be in the sun. <laughs> they won't go eating any of the other animals that are on the ship just yet. Don't worry. Well, that's good to know. They're still people. Like, they might have cat, dog, and bear-like tendencies, but they're still people. Got it. <laughs> okay. Are you bringing your horses with you? We should at least bring the winged ones, you know. Arnis hasn't tried to do anything to heal or save them. All four of them are winged, so you could, there's room for all four. Then yeah, we should bring them. Because <laughs> I realized, like, there should be room for horses, because also, if Finnegan does end up making more animal allies, companions, like, in the tamer sense, and doesn't want to bring them on every single fight, this is a place mm-hmm. where they can chill. Noise. But yeah, yeah. That is the regal splendor. To get a view from the outside of it, the real splendor is made of wood, reinforced with metal banding, and it is all very finely made. 
There's definitely some elven filigree-ness to it. The heating pipes, when they come up from the boiler through the tween deck, run up kind of like around the perimeter of the edge of the ship. So there's a number of them that just come straight up and into the giant air balloon part of the dirigible. Hot to touch. Not as hot as you would think. Those pipes, once they're above deck, are magically treated, so they are warm, but if you grab onto one, you're not going to burn your hands off. If something were to happen to that magical treatment, they would become very hot. But for the most part, it's just warmth. Helps when you're up on the deck and you're flying around here in the winter belt, uh, in the winter van, uh, and you just need a little bit of heat up there. Kind of like the little space heaters almost. But that doesn't mean it doesn't get cold up here. Definitely does. If you get more than a few feet away from one of those pipes, you'll definitely feel the temperature. So bring your warm clothes is all I'm saying. Other than that, one did want to show you this ship. Ristos definitely has things to talk about, but that could happen on the road, so to speak, if we want to. We don't have to do that here in Earl. So I want to put it to you, the party. Is there anything we need to do in Earl before we leave? Not, not in Earl. Yeah, I'm good. Arnis, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. In which case, we can also montage ourselves to Libera, if folks are okay with that. Unless you... I mean, we can have discussions on the way there, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, yeah. Unless we actually want to go through the long slog of the journey into it getting colder and darker. We can have some discussions as we montage our way there and arrive in Libera. I don't know how many shenanigans you want to get up to in between here and there. No, Finnegan just has one conversation he'd like to have the night before we move into our destination. Okay. Everybody else okay with that? Yep. Yep. Okay. In which case, after Olwan reveals to you the regal splendor and you make the decision to claim it as your own, it takes about a day for you to move your stuff in, get rid of anything that you don't need. Perhaps some... Paintings of Earl are unceremoniously tossed into the snow. But after about a day of prep and one trying to explain some of the mechanics of how to pilot the Regal Splendor, it's not entirely difficult, but yeah. (laughs) It is not a super difficult ship to pilot once you're up in the air, but it does require some know-how, some experience or practice. So to start things off, Ulwan will be handling that. But over time, other people can learn and take on the work themselves. Departing from Earl, as the balloon and the dirigible fills up with hot air, it takes to the sky quickly. This ship and others similar to it work quite well in the cold weather of the winter band. They can be used to fly north through the autumn band, spring and summer, but Traveling through the different weather zones can be a turbulent affair, but it's certainly possible for a skilled pilot. But you are heading south, deeper and deeper into the winter, towards Libera, where Malsius, leader of the conscription and devote and zealous follower of Corum, resides. But that is still some time away. The trip south is dark and cold. If you happen to be on the deck of the ship, looking out into this perpetual night sky, it is hard not to imagine the vestiges 
and the looming tomb themselves. There are moments when it seems like eyes could be looking down at you, squinting, rubbing your eyes, shaking your head, and the effect seems to vanish. As you travel south, the clouds thin. There are times when they surround you, but more often than not, it is a clear sky. And it is incredibly dark. You might spot a torchlight or a lantern here and there, but there's no clear sign of mass settlement along the road south. There is a frozen ocean branch that travels in this direction as well, leading to Libera. Occasionally, you will see movement on it, perhaps even within it. Difficult to say from this distance, but it follows steadfastly south. And there are times when the night is clear and the moon is bright that you can see glints of other portions of the ocean branches in the distance. And with that, we'll bring this chapter to a close. But the story will always continue. Thanks again to all of our Patreon patrons for your support. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash Podcast and pick out a level that's right for you. Before we go, I'd like to give special thanks to everyone at the $5 and up tiers. At the $5 city council level, thank you, Shannon DeMello. At the $10 mayor level, thank you, Christopher DeMello. At the $15 governor level, thank you, Phoenix Bryan and Sierra Jones. Thank you for listening to this chapter in Seasons of Skyrend. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us. If you want to chat, we're on Twitter at Skyrend Podcast. You can join our Discord server, or you can email us at skyrendpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us online at skyrendpodcast.com. As always, thanks to Daryl Barnes for creating our theme music. You can find them on Twitter at Daryl Barnes underscore. We also want to thank the talented at Gabby underscore Desu on Twitter for our fantastic podcast art. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on Seasons of Skyrend.